Hi there, and welcome to the Be a Global Citizen podcast. My name is Scott, and in today's episode, we're going to look at what is cosmopolitanism. We're going to look at how it relates to global citizenship. We're going to look at the concept of cosmopolitanism and whether it's relevant in today's world, as well as a few other questions that may come up from our conversation. Um, this episode is very introductory to cosmopolitanism, and we're going to focus on two particular strands of cosmopolitanism that are proposed by a philosopher named Kwame Anthony Apia. So I hope you enjoy the episode. Thank you for tuning in, and let's begin. So first things first, what is cosmopolitanism? Well, this term actually dates back to the 4th century BC to the cynics. And the term cosmopolitanism can be viewed um, as citizen of the cosmos. You can see the word cosmos being a part of the term itself. Um, but also this this idea of citizenry of like uh, the citizen uh, is very important in this definition and so when we when we take the cynics and how they expressed cosmopolitanism, there is a sort of a paradox in that citizen of the cosmos reflected their own skepticism towards custom and tradition and so what what I mean by that is that there was this tension, right, in conforming to what had previously be done, been done by their their ancestors, right? And there's this sense that the world was much bigger, right? And and world in this sense actually refers more to the universe. L- again, looking at the the phrasing "citizen of the world," when we see. Uh, the the citizen part of this, um, the citizen really meant belonging to a particular city, right? The the polit polit I guess aspect of it um, refers to the city, and cosmos referred to this universe. And so, when I mean by the rejection of a conventional view that every civilized person belonged to a community among communities, that's the skepticism aspect, right? That the cynics really believed uh, that there was a, a larger kind of organization to to the to the societies that were emerging around them, uh, even within their own. And so this really lays the groundwork for cosmopolitanism as we know it today. Um, and we're going to take. Uh, a little bit more inspiration from a particular philosopher in our next segment. What can we learn from cosmopolitanism? What about cosmopolitanism that is relevant in today's world? Would you consider yourself to be a cosmopolitan? Well, the same question goes for global citizen. Does such a distinction between these terms even matter? I mean, these questions are important and ones that we will get to in good time. 
To anchor our conversation for today, um, for this episode, I look to Kawami Apia, who is a professor at Princeton University, and I draw from his book titled Cosmopolitanism, Ethics in a World of Strangers. So this book really serves as reference for our episode. And um, what is particularly noteworthy from Apia's work um, you know, apart from the fact that he is by far a uh, leading expert uh, in cosmopolitanism. Um, but, but his own background really attests to his experience of identifying with multiple cultures. So his father was born in Ghana. Who is from, he's from Ghana, <laughs> born and raised there. And his mother from England, right? And so there's this colliding... <laughs> Uh, of cultures in the union between his parents and for himself growing up in Ghana much of his life was riddled with questions over tradition and custom because many of these traditions and customs came from cultures that that were quite different from one another and so as a young person uh, and I would imagine into his adulthood there was this um, conflicting sense of allegiance, I would say, to any one particular culture, right? That these um, feelings uh, and observations that he would have about his place in the world uh, would be contested, right, from his own experiences. And, And I think that more likely than not, helped to really drive his intellectual curiosity around ethics and morality, in particular uh, in, in the framing of cosmopolitanism. So he's a great uh, scholar and individual uh, to really look for clear explanations around cosmopolitanism. Apia states that there are two strands that intertwine in the notion of cosmopolitanism. Quote, One strand is the idea that we have obligations to others, obligations that stretch beyond those to whom we are related by the tie of kith and kind, or even the more formal ties of a shared citizenship. End quote. So that's the first strand that he talks about. And, and we see the word obligations and also citizenship come into the play. This, this sense of um, belonging is important. Um, and often it is uh, in association with those around us, right? So in, in relation to the ties of kith and kind, right? That's more of our, our, our relatives, right? Those whom we associate as... Um, you know, uh, basically blood relatives, <laughs> and and then the even more formal ties of a shared citizenship can be what we view as nationalism, right? That there are other forces at play that really help us to identify within larger groups, and this is where Benedict um, Anderson's concept of imagined communities is is very significant to help us um, frame 
what these allegiances are. So that we are bound by people and groups and that we also have obligations to them, right? So this is, this is one notion of cosmopolitanism that he brings up. And now the second strand, he goes on to say, quote, the other is that we take seriously the value not just of human life, but of particular human lives, which means taking an interest in the practices and beliefs that lend them significance, end quote. Now, we all know that uh, there are many, many people on this planet that we're not alone and that humans are very social animals. And so that the, this, the value of life here, um, it's not just the collective perspective that we're seeing, but also the, the, the person in front of us, right? The particular human lives that he speaks of are of great significance. But of course, each one of us, we bring with us uh, our own uh, cultural baggage, <laughs> our own particular contexts. And, and that also brings with it novel practices and beliefs, things that, you know, do not always correspond to the practices and beliefs of others, right? That's what, that's what creates this great diversity uh, amongst people, amongst, um, you know, all of the planet's animals, right? Biodiversity itself. And, and he's saying that this is something that not only we, need, we, we must take seriously, right? When it comes to viewing the other, but it's also something that like by acknowledging these differences that validates them, that, that brings greater meaning to them. And through that, I think the concept of cosmopolitanism really begins to thrive. And so from these two strands of you know, one's obligations to others, and then also the, the notion that um, you know, human life is something to be greatly valued and that is connected to a whole host of cultural differences. Um, one thing that Apia really asserts in, in his writings is that there is so much that we can learn from these differences, um, that these differences are not uh, insurmountable, right? Um, and that there are ways to approach the other and to exemplify these qualities um, that we have spoken of in global citizenship, but that also are quite applicable to cosmopolitanism. One example that he provides in his book centers on explanations of disease between communities from Ghana with perspectives that are arguably more Western in their orientation. And so he explains that in many communities in Ghana, there are beliefs that illnesses are sometimes caused by witchcraft. And so their belief in witchcraft is often explained in many different ways. Um, some of these ways are 
often observed by witnesses, people pointing to particular people um, in rituals that are done, in foods that are prepared. It could potentially um, be pointed um, to a family feud that has happened in which uh, someone engages in witchcraft to cause an illness. Um, and there, there are these explanations that align with the beliefs that are latent within the community. And that is something that he describes is um, very much central to um, kind of how these beliefs operate and are perpetuated within communities. Now, when we look to the case of Western medicine, how they would view something like illnesses, this um, often brings up scientific explanations, uh, particularly of viruses. Viruses would require an explanation um, of a subatomic um, entity uh, or you know entity that is able to um, make alterations and influence a body's ability to um, to continue operating in a healthy manner and this this kind of belief system is very widely accepted amongst countries that uh, subscribe to this and what he wants to achieve in this comparison this within the discussion of disease he kind of pins them against each other to show how um, trying to win over the other and persuade the other that their explanation is false in in many ways is 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 futile it's not going to work and that the belief is very strongly held by either group now these contradicting belief systems um they they argue that their explanation is correct and what we find is that there's there's no lack of um reasonings and justifications that that support one belief over the other right um to explain all of this to someone within a community in Ghana it's it's very easy to get sidetracked in the kind of discussion that you engage them with right and so i guess what what all of this points to is that while there are undoubtedly um you know there there are undoubtedly great advances in certain areas that are unquestionably um, beneficial and that produce accurate and reliable um, informations, but that there's this gap in the culture itself, uh, this gap in really understanding the beliefs of others that can sometimes lead to impasses, you know, the inability to to really um, make sense of the other the other's worlds you know there's the the world of the the communities in ghana and then the world that is occupied by let's say someone um from from los angeles let's say you know representing uh, the west um 
And to to put it bluntly, right, there's this need to um, not necessarily come with full solutions to to discredit the other, but to really work through those differences and understand the world of the other, right? Um, Apia states, quote, there's a sense in which cosmopolitanism is the name, not of the solution, but of the challenge, end quote. And so we see this also with global citizenship, that it's not necessarily the end all, the uh, panacea for all of the issues that are happening in the world, but it really points to the greater challenge um, of um, how we as humans can overcome differences that we see and how we can transcend labels, categories, ways that seek to divide us and really try to unify in a way that is culturally sensitive, in a way that is, um, you know, respect respectful. And so um, I, I take that cosmopolitanism, cosmopolitanism in many ways resonates with much of what we have already discussed about global citizenship. I would like to share another phrase from Appiah. He writes, quote, Cosmopolitanism shouldn't be seen as some exalted attainment. It begins with the simple idea that in the human community, as in national communities, we need to develop habits of coexistence, conversation in its older meaning of living together, association, end quote. And what, what I really take from this quotation and from what we have been discussing throughout this episode is that we really should engage with the other, right? The fact is that no one person has all of the answers and that through these engagements, uh, we have the opportunity to learn from our differences. And so this process of engaging, not having the answers, learning from our differences, what what strikes me uh, is very similar to you know the way that we've been talking about global citizenship is that the qualities of a global citizen that Ikeda describes and outlines um, seem to be very practical in this in this pursuit of um, engaging and learning uh, from others and through our differences uh, the 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 ability to utilize one's courage compassion and wisdom um, is fundamental. In this process, and I would say that it, it helps to bridge um, these divides and to create bonds of friendship, really, with others. And that through the process of becoming, um, and through the process of learning from our differences, in many ways, I, I can see this new. Um, this new mode of operating within our world that really puts an emphasis on dialogue. And so what that 
dialogue is and how to carry it out is something that we can look at in later episodes. But I think it, it definitely, the word dialogue helps to tie together a lot of these um, big terms that we have been talking about. And that through the, the complexities of um, looking at how does one become um, you know, this or that, or how one engages with, you know, different peoples from different cultures. I mean, there there is some kind of glue that definitely binds us, and possibly dialogue might be that glue. We'll have to see, but this is, uh, you know, something that we can, of course, come back to, but uh, we can see that cosmopolitanism in many ways strives towards the same things that global citizenship does um, and that there are overlapping um, I would say characteristics between them that help us to in essence um, engage with those that we deem different from us While there is so much more that can be said about cosmopolitanism, I think it's important for us to, to highlight what we've learned so far. It is clear that learning from difference with others is something that is fundamental in how one approaches um, a particular stance as a citizen of the cosmos, right? But also, that the, the two strands that we, we explored together um, that come from Apia state the, the need in providing a kind of framework that appreciates um, our obligations towards others right within communities, um, but then also how there's this great challenge to our perception of humankind in its totality but also in terms of the particular human being, right, the, the person in front of you, how that person's context and background are unique and represents an aspect of diversity. This diversity that is so essential to our continued advancement as a species. Um, and that all of these different pieces of um, you know, human lives that um, reflect one another in different ways and shapes, um, that we're also bound by the same planet, right? We're, we're all bound to, to Earth in a way that also reinforces um, a very needed um, sense of coexistence in order to, to thrive and to continue to thrive. And so the, the notion of cosmopolitanism is important. It is something that I hope to go deeper into with you um, for our episode today. I hope this was an interesting introduction into the concept, one that hopefully has sparked new questions about what cosmopolitanism means to you, how it compares to your conception of global citizenship, and much more. So thank you so much for tuning in to our episode today. I'm very happy to, um, to be able to engage with you 
and share my passion about global citizenship. So please continue to listen. Much appreciated. And I'll catch you on the next episode. Thank you.